as I mentioned, continuing on this morning in our little series in the book of Colossians. Um, we've seen that Paul has been encouraging the Christians to keep on going, to keep on continuing in their faith. Um, if you haven't been with us, don't worry, um, you'll be able to jump in where we are. We've seen Paul encourage them. We've seen Paul thank God and remind them of the, the difference that the gospel has made in their lives. We've seen Paul praying for the Colossians that they would grow to spiritual maturity, and he says that is possible because of the Son, the Son of God, Christ, who did it in his earthly life. Therefore, if we're in him, we can know it too. And he is the image of the invisible God. He's God. He has the power to make us grow and continue in our faith. And then last week, Paul said that he is working hard for the Colossians, and he showed us some of the characteristics of a good Christian leader, one who is a servant, one who teaches and admonishes with the Word. So we're going to continue on after that as Paul then turns to the Colossians themselves, um, away from leaders and to the Colossian Christians as individuals. So we're in chapter 2, beginning at verse 6, um, and I'd encourage you, if you can have the text in front of you, that would be a good idea um, on screen or in your Bible, and um, keep it open as we look at this a little bit later. So Colossians chapter 2, and beginning at verse 6. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. 
but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Let's pray together. Our God and our Father, we do thank you for your word. And we know that your word calls us to be still and know that you are God. And so we pray that in these moments as we come to think about what your word has to say to us today, may we be still, may we be free from any distracting thoughts or the things that were on our mind when we came here today. But Lord, may we truly be still in your presence and know that you are God and hear what it is you have to say to us because we do this all for you. In Jesus' name, amen. One thing in this world that I do not understand one little bit is anyone who gets any enjoyment out of watching cookery programs. I don't get it at all. I can't cook. I don't want to watch somebody else cook. But when I was at secondary school, every day when I came in, I caught the last round of Ready Steady Cook because mum had it on. And what happened in it was that the chefs were given a bag of random ingredients. They didn't know what was coming beforehand. Maybe you've watched the show. And they had to decide on the spot what they were going to do with them. And I suppose, despite my dislike of it all, it really was quite impressive. You know, these chefs, they didn't know what was going to be thrown at them. They'd end up with a can of sweet corn, eggs, flour, and a cucumber, and a pack of sausages or something. And they'd turn it into some kind of edible dish, like a carbonara or something. Now, yes, I am aware that I didn't list the ingredients to a carbonara there, but it's the sort of thing that they did. They just got these ingredients and they threw it together and they were able to get something good out of it. And I kind of actually imagine that the Colossian Christians, hearing this letter from Paul for the first time, remember it would have been read to them from the front, they would have got it once, at least on the first day. That's the kind of image that comes into my mind. They have all these bits and they're wondering maybe what to do with them. They're all good and nice in their own right, but they're wondering how on earth they're going to put them together because the Colossians have heard really good things. We've seen that over the past three weeks. The beginning of the letter, Paul encourages them to keep believing the gospel. He, he reminds them, doesn't he, remember the difference the gospel has made in your lives. Remember the faith and hope and love that it's brought you. You know it's true and it's, it's bearing fruit all over the world. You can see that. Oh, Colossians, keep believing. And then two weeks ago, we saw that Paul was praying for them, that they would grow, mature in their faith. And, and again, he encourages them to do that because of the gospel, because Jesus has the power to do this for them. He is the image of the invisible God. He has the power to work this in your life, and he's proved it because he has lived it. And then last week, we saw the role of the leader. Paul says, I've worked so hard for you, Colossians. I know, here's what leadership looks like. It, it looks like being a servant. It looks like presenting you to God as mature in Christ. It means teaching you and admonishing you so that you can mature. And so the Colossians have got these three ingredients, and therefore I suppose we do too. We have this great gospel. We have this great Lord who is supreme and who has the power to make them grow. We have this model of leadership that will enable us to mature. And I suppose the question then becomes, okay, how do I put these together? How do I put these ingredients together? How do I work these things out practically? I get it. I've been convinced in my, in my mind. But how do I actually live it? And Paul answers that question in verses 6 and 7 of chapter 2 that we just read. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, 
continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Just as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, continue to live your lives in him. It literally says, as you received him, so walk in him. Walk, live, keep going, keep walking, keep moving. That's why we've called this little series, Keep On Keeping On, and it's presumably why there's somebody walking in the background of our slides, because these words are crucial. They hold the whole letter together. Remember the gospel. Remember how great it is. Remember you can grow in your faith because you have a great Savior. Remember what the role of your leaders are. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, just as you believe the gospel, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. And Paul's going to go on to tell us some of the ways that we do that through the rest of the book, you know, how we fight sin, how we relate to one another, how we speak to one another, how we witness. But before all that today, he's going to tell us about how Christians ought to think. Just as you received all that, so continue to live. And those verses, as I say, they're, they're the hinge that the whole book kind of hangs on, kind of going from theory in the previous weeks into practice now for our lives. So we do well to spend a few moments this morning just picking apart these two verses before we move on, just so we get a bit of a sense of where Paul is going with them. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord. Now that word received there is actually a little bit tricky. It's trickier than it looks because we might think that Paul is talking about receiving Christ into our lives, about becoming a Christian. And it is related to that, but the word actually has a sense of being taught. So just as you receive teaching, just as you heard about Christ, just as you received instruction about Him, so just as you receive the teaching of Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him. Paul's going to go on to talk about philosophy, how we think, we're going to look at that today, and over the next few weeks, we're going to see him talk about how we live, how we relate to one another, how we speak. And it goes without saying that there's all kind of teaching out there in the world, isn't there, about all of these things, all kinds of ways of thinking, how families should operate, all of these things. But just as you receive the teaching of Christ, all those things we've been reminded about through chapter one of the gospel, of growth to maturity, of all of that, who Christ is, the, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, just as you received all that teaching, that's how you're to walk forward. That's how you're to go. And so no wonder Paul describes being rooted and, and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. In Christ, whom you know that the way you were taught, not any different way. And when Paul talks about being rooted, I think he probably has in mind words from Jeremiah chapter 17. There's actually a number of places in the Old Testament where, we're, where believers are talked about as being planted and rooted. But here's some words from Jeremiah 17. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. Being rooted in Christ is going to help us through whatever we face in this life. We'll be strengthened in our faith as we were taught and we'll overflow with thankfulness. The more we're rooted in Christ, the more we'll realize just how much He has done for us, 
and the more we'll be thankful. And that's a real sign of Christian maturity, and we did think about that a wee bit two weeks ago. So the instruction of these two verses is quite clear. Don't shift. Don't shift from the teaching of Christ. Keep on keeping on. Keep going the way you did from the start. Don't be influenced by teaching that doesn't agree with the teaching of Christ. Because it's so easy for us to do that. It happens all around us. Somebody says that something isn't a sin any longer, that God didn't really mean that in the way that you think, that it doesn't really say that, that you can only really worship God if you do it this way or that way. But God in His Word in Colossians 2 today wants to warn us against shifting from the teaching we receive in Christ Jesus the Lord. And today specifically, we're going to see five warnings against thinking in a way that is not compatible with how we received Jesus in the first place, and therefore isn't compatible with how we should walk in Him going forward. And the first warning is in verse 8, and it's this, don't be fooled by the world's philosophies. Look with me at verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world, rather than on Christ. Now, I don't know about you, but the first time I read that, I thought, well, that doesn't have much to do with me, does it? Because, you know, I'm not a philosopher. Philosophy is something for really deep thinkers, people much more clever than me. But that's not really what Paul is getting at. At the time he wrote this, this idea of philosophy, it was much wider, perhaps, than it even is today. When Paul was writing this, philosophy would have just included ideas, lifestyle, religion, even magic proofs practices and things that we probably wouldn't assess with philosophy today. So what Paul is saying here is, you see the way you approach life, the way you think about things, the way you worship even? Well, if that's based on how the world does things and not on Christ, then don't be taken in by it. In fact, it's serious. Paul says, don't be taken captive by it. It's dangerous. Now, what Paul isn't saying is that all philosophy is bad. Paul also isn't saying that all human thinking should just be ignored and disregarded. Some human thinking is good and incredibly useful, even when it's not done by Christians. But what he is saying is that if thinking, if that thinking completely excludes Christ, then it's wrong, and we should steer clear of it. No matter how intellectual or high-sounding it is, no matter how humanly convincing it might be, it's nonsense. It's hollow and it's deceptive, Paul says. And I think many of the Colossian Christians would have experienced this kind of thing. Others putting forward their religious ideas and ways of thinking, and they had to be on guard against that. I think though often the reality for us is maybe even more subtle. It's harder for us to spot. One huge example of this in our day is what some people call selfism. Selfism, and even if you've never heard that word before, you have seen this way of thinking. You've seen it on TV. You've read about it. It's been online. Selfism penetrates our world just now. And very simply, selfism looks to the self rather than to Christ for satisfaction in so many areas of life. One of my children's favorite movies is Trolls. Uh, if you're not familiar with it, I won't go into the details. But essentially, the trolls there, the good guys, and the Bergens, we don't like the Bergens, they're the bad guys. They are grumpy and sad, and they're sad because they believe that the only way to be happy is to eat the trolls. 
very controversial. And the whole ending of the movie is that they find that they were wrong. And here's what Poppy, one of the trolls, says to them. Happiness isn't something you put inside. It's already there. Sometimes you just need someone to help you find it. Of course, it's already inside you. And I'm not saying this morning that we can't find anything in our, inside ourselves to be happy about because that really would be a depressing reality. But the point is, if we accept the lie that this is all there is and that all the happiness we can find is inside of us and we just need to unlock it somehow, well, if we do that, we'll come up empty. Those who fill themselves with only themselves remain empty, but not so with people who are filled with Christ, rooted and upbuilt in Him. Our world belongs in selfism. It's huge. I don't have time to talk about it all this morning, but we believe that it's all within us, that we can do whatever we want if we just receive the right training, if we just try hard enough. If we feel it, it must be true. I feel this, therefore I am this. This is my identity. If I'm searching to further myself, I need to better myself. I need to invest in myself. I need to find myself. It's so attractive because so often it feels right to us. But Paul says it's hollow. It's hollow. It won't fulfill us. We'll always be looking for more. It's deceptive. It deceives us because it feels right, but it's downright wrong. You want to know what the Bible says about happiness? Well, I'll try and do it in 30 seconds. The word for happiness we often actually translate it as the word blessing or blessed, but it's the same word, it's happiness. And here's what the Bible has to say about it. Here's Psalm 1. Blessed or happy is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree rooted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. True happiness, true blessing comes from being rooted in the Lord. And Paul goes on to say to the Colossians in verses 9 and 10, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness. You want to be fulfilled? You want to know ultimate happiness in your life? Not that anything bad won't ever happen, but true deep satisfaction in life? Find it in Christ because He is the fullness of God. He is God and in Him you can know fullness. In Christ you've been brought to fullness. Nothing apart from Him can add to you because you're already full if you know Him. See to it, Paul says, that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world. That's just the way this world works rather than on Christ. Watch out, see to it, Paul says. And that brings us to his second warning, which is not to forget the spiritual reality. Don't forget the spiritual reality because the world can only see things in the world's terms, can't it? But God has done something that cannot be done by human hands. He's done something spiritual. Here's verses 11 and 12. In him, you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him 
through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Paul uses two metaphors here, that of circumcision and baptism, to remind us of the spiritual reality of our identity because of our faith in Christ. The first is circumcision. And physical circumcision, I'm sure you don't need reminded, was the way that God commanded Abraham and his descendants to commit themselves to him. And they did that by removing a very small piece of skin from a very intimate and personal area of the male body. But the purpose in that was all about their identity. It said, I'm set apart to God. But it was more than that. And it wasn't actually just something for the men. Yes, physically it only happened to the men. But it was something to the whole community. It said something to the whole community. Because that part of the body is connected with the conception of life. And men and women together said, all of us, all of our children were all marked for the Lord our God. We're His there's a reminder as we produce children, both at conception and when they're born and they're circumcised themselves, that all we have in this world is God's, and it's set apart to Him. The forked skin is only a small piece of flesh, but it represented so much more. It represented a spiritual reality. Lord, we're your people, and so we're putting off this small piece of flesh to represent that we're putting off the way of this world. Spiritually, we are your people. And Paul says that this has happened to us, but not with a circumcision performed by human hands. No, he says amazingly, your whole self, ruled by the flesh or the sinful nature, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. The moment you received Christ, your whole flesh was put off and you entered into a spiritual reality. Of course, we're still flesh and blood for now. Paul uses the word flesh here to represent our sinful nature, the worldly way about us. But if we don't have the spiritual reality, then all we are is sin in our flesh. But with Christ, that sinful nature in the flesh has been displaced. Sometimes the Bible calls this a circumcision of the heart. Here, it's a circumcision done by Christ. Don't be deceived, Colossians. Don't be perceived Christian. Don't be lured into the world's philosophies because that's not part of you anymore. It won't be satisfied by those. That has been put off by Christ and only he can bring you to fullness. Paul also uses baptism to communicate the same thing. Baptism symbolizes washing away the old, being cleansed anew. The old has gone, it's dead, Paul says. We've been buried with him in baptism and the flesh has been put off. And you were raised with God, by God, into this new spiritual reality, by faith in the God who raised Jesus into this new spiritual reality first. Don't be pulled towards the world's way of thinking. It's hollow, it's deceptive, and it doesn't take into account the true spiritual reality in which you now live. And then thirdly, Paul says, don't forget your freedom from sin. Verses 13 to 15. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And of course, I mean, this is obviously central to our faith that our sins have been forgiven. But for many of us, it's the thing that we forget most readily. 
Reminding us of our sin is one of the devil's favorite ways to, to drag us down, to discourage us, discourage us in our faith, to try and stop us from walking, to entice us towards the world's way of thinking, making us think that we aren't satisfied in our faith and need to look elsewhere. But we need to remind ourselves of our forgiveness time and time again. So if you're somebody who struggles with this, if you wallow in guilt and shame because of your sin, well, listen to this. You're forgiven. You were once dead in your sin. Your heart once wasn't circumcised, to pick up that spiritual metaphor. But now God has made you alive in Christ. He has forgiven your sin. So don't struggle thinking to yourself, I can't do this fight against sin anymore because it's been done. Those charges which stood against you, he has canceled. In fact, he has nailed your guilty record to the cross. And all those things which stood against you, accusing you of your sin, Christ made a public spectacle of them on the cross, and he defeated them. So this is huge. A spectacle was made, Paul says. You're free from those things now. They don't have a grip on you anymore because of Christ. So don't listen to them because it's a worldly way of thinking. Don't be tempted to listen to the world that says that Christians are on the wrong side of history because of all these other ideas that accuse you. They were defeated in history at the cross. It's only there that you find freedom and happiness and fulfillment because there your sins were forgiven and you were given new life. And so we've been warned not to be drawn into the world's way of thinking, not to forget the spiritual reality, and part of that is not to forget that our sins are forgiven. And fourthly, we're warned not to add to the gospel. The Colossians were surrounded by people who were adding to the gospel. Sure, you know Christ, but are you sure you've done enough? Couldn't you be keeping a few more religious days? Are you sure that you've experienced it all? And so Paul warns them, verse 16, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Don't add to the gospel. The Colossians encountered that from people who said they had to keep special diets or, or Sabbaths or other religious days. We probably don't do it quite like that, but we might do it with things like reading the Bible or attending church or prayer or how many people we've evangelized to in the workplace. And all of these things are, are good things. You know, taking time as a Sabbath and setting it apart for God, that's good. We're thinking that, about that in our evening series at the moment. It's good to pray. It's good to read your Bible. It's good to go to church. I would encourage you to do those things. I have stood up here and encouraged you to do those things. But don't judge yourself by them. And don't let anyone else do so either because they're all only a shadow of the reality which is in Christ. That's what is important. They might be things which bring us to Christ, and so they are good things, but they in themselves are not Christ. He fulfilled all the requirements necessary before God, 
So those things don't earn us favor with God. They're good things to do. They might please God. They are ways in which we'll find a lot of joy in finding Christ through them, but they're not Christ themselves. They're not the gospel. He accepts you already before you do all these things. You do them out of freedom, not out of obligation. Paul also talks about those who worship angels, who go into great detail about what they have seen or they claim to have seen. And again, we mightn't come across that directly, but we certainly do and will come across people who say you have to worship in a certain way, that you have to experience it, that you have to lift up your hands and feel the emotion of it. And there are churches not far from here which do that. You know, they have special lighting. They have smoke machines. I kid you not. The music is loud. And it's all driven to give you an experience which they call a worship experience. And in one sense, there's not loads wrong with that. Because if Christ is everything to us, then it is emotional. It should cause us to lift up our hands and our hearts. The gospel should affect us to the core. Of course it should. But if it becomes about an emotional experience... If you feel left out because you don't have that experience, so God spoke to them, but he doesn't seem to be speaking to me. They seem to really be feeling it in worship today, and, and I'm really not. Well, then that's where it becomes an issue, because the only thing that matters is connection to the head, Christ. And Paul says that some of these people have lost that. God causes growth in Christ, not a particular experience of worship or anything like that. So anything which emphasizes the appearance or subjective feelings and puts those in place of the historical events of Christ's crucifixion and resurrection, then those things should be avoided. It's not that we can't have an emotional experience in worship, but if they displace the historical events of Christ's death and resurrection, then it's a problem. The gap between us as sinners and God can only be filled by Jesus Christ. Nothing more is needed. So then finally, Paul warns us not to look anywhere else for growth in our faith. He says in verses 20 to 23, since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, again, that's just how the world works, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. What Paul is talking about here is ultimately how we practice our faith, how we grow in our faith. And we all want to grow in our faith don't we? To obey, to refrain from sensual indulgence, Paul says. That's just restraining ourselves from our desire to sin. We want to grow in restraint against sin. And for the Colossians, it seems that there were some teachings floating around that those old Jewish food laws, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, were causing them problems. And Paul also talks about harsh treatment of the body and self-imposed worship it seems that people were teaching that you had to fast excessively, that you had to worship the way they thought. It was self-imposed. It was man-made. But Paul says this is actually of no use for the Christian in growing and in fighting against sin. I think for us today, it pops up in different ways. 
Again, some people believe you have to have a particular religious experience to really have worshipped. Some people believe that you have to believe a certain type of doctrine. Sadly, one of the reasons why we have so many different types of church is because churches have divided on issues which aren't the gospel. It's such a shame. Others impose their own rules on their lifestyle. You should spend money in a certain way, or you shouldn't do this, or you shouldn't do that. It might be for that person walking in obedience to Christ, that's what they need to do, but they think everybody should do it. But what this does, again, is it focuses on us rather than on the power of Christ's work in every area of life. It basically leads to a do-it-yourself religion, and it fails to see what has already been accomplished for us by Christ. There are things in my life that I, I don't do. There are certain things on TV that I don't watch. There are places that I will not go. And I do these things in obedience to Christ. And as I work out my salvation, as Paul puts it, I know these things are good for me. But they mightn't be good for everybody. They're not the gospel. It wouldn't be right for me to stand up here and impose them on everybody, at least not all of them. It might help me grow in the faith, but it might actually hinder somebody else. The only place ultimately where we can grow in our faith is at the cross, where we see Christ take our sins upon himself and where we stand forgiven. The only thing that counts is the gospel. That though we were far from God in our sin, God, through his great mercy and love in his wisdom, sent his son into the world to live the perfect life that we could never live. And he won for us that reward of eternal life that we do not deserve. And he is the power such that if we put our faith in him, we can join him in eternal life. Not because of a decision that we make, not because we deserve it, but because he loved us and took our sin upon himself. And so that we could see his free gift of undeserved forgiveness and life with him. So if you've never received that, receive it today. And if you have received it, so continue to live in it and it alone, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Don't be swayed from it. Don't ever forget what he has done for you spiritually. Don't forget your freedom from sin and don't ever add to it. Don't add to the gospel because you couldn't anyway. And look nowhere else but only to him. Let's pray. Our God and our Father, we give you thanks for the gospel as you have presented it to us in your word. Lord, thank you that Jesus Christ came into the world to save us and that he has worked in our hearts a circumcision not done by human hands. And he continues to work in us by your spirit to point us to him, to lead us to him, and to cause us to grow to maturity in him. So, Lord, we pray just now that you would help us to guard our minds, to guard our thinking, our philosophies, so that we only accept what is acceptable in Christ. Lord, we know we are bombarded in a world which does not know him and does not love him. We're bombarded with messages which exclude him. But, Lord, help us to always fix our eyes on him and to walk in him and with him for the rest of our days.
until we see him face to face. And we pray in his name. Amen.